is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 124. Today, I'm going to be talking to September C. Fawkes all about how to craft your writing voice. Can we, like, let's just first talk about how cool September's name is. What a freaking amazing name. I love, I loved it. I, I think I may have even told her in the episode, or maybe I told her afterwards, I don't, I don't remember. Anyway, last week's question was, have you ever run or backed a Kickstarter? So there was a bit of discussion in the um, Rebel Slack group about uh, about Patreon, about about, uh, Kickstarter. Lots of people have uh, backed Kickstarters. There were sort of, um, uh, I know some people have done badge Kickstarters. There's been uh, tarot card supporters, all kinds of stuff. So lots and lots lots of you uh, have backed a Kickstarter. One particular comment, Matt Goodall says, I've backed a few Kickstarters starter projects, primarily uh, comic creators, but also a couple of tech ones. I'm definitely interested in running my own Kickstarter for some books that won't fit the typical publishing format that comes from a standard print company. There were lots of people that said, um, this was a really uh, helpful episode. So yeah, thank you to Paddy for coming on. And uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Okay, so this week's question is kind of a selfish question and it's and it's a personal one. So my question to you is, how do you um, get out of a reading slump? Or, or maybe my question is, have you ever been in a reading slump? Uh, or, or like what books have gotten you out of a reading slump? I'm in a bit of a reading slump at the moment. Um, I read a book that uh, I just, it was just a bit meh. And I didn't really feel an awful lot for it. And that kind of started the slump. And at the moment, I've got a pile of books that I have to read, like for the podcast, like podcast guests. And it's not that I don't want to read them. It's that being told I have to read something basically makes me rebel against that. (laughs) Surprising no one. Uh, Yeah, I don't really do well being forced to read stuff. Um, I have to be in the mood. I have to choose to read it. Um, And that is very difficult to manage when uh, you have to read certain things for for a show that you run. Um, You know, even at school, like this is probably terrible. I shouldn't really admit this, but I literally never read any of the books, like none of them. Not once did I read any of the textbooks that I was told to read at school. Um, and despite that, I still did very well at English, uh, which just goes to show you that, it, you know, really it's the skills you need to learn rather than necessarily deconstructing the books in those classes. But um, the only book that I ever read at school. So this is oh God, I'm going on a massive tangent here today. Sorry, guys, you're just going to sit and listen to me waffle on. Uh, so I didn't take. So in the UK, we have something called A-levels. Uh, I don't, you don't have that in other countries. Um, but that's when you're 17 and 18. So like the last two years of sort of compulsory school education. I didn't take A-levels. I took the International Baccalaureate, uh, which is where you get to do a wider spread of uh subjects and topics and it's much more student-led so you get to sort of shape and oh it makes so much sense why I did it now because I wasn't having someone tell me what to do anyway oh my god why am I so predictable Ah, and welcome to Sasha's therapy session um Anyway, so uh, in my English class, we we got given like this gigantic list of books and we could pick the book that we wanted to do. And so I picked Albert Camus' um, The Plague. And uh, I was a dark child, what could I say? And so I read The Plague. And, and that is literally, I think it was, I think it's actually called La Peste uh, in French. Obviously, it's a French translation. And um, it's the only book I ever read <laughs> at school that I was told to read, despite the fact that I read hundreds of books every single year whilst I was at school. I just didn't read what I was told. Thankfully, some of uh, the the classes, some of the books that we had to read, the English teacher read with us in class, probably because there were little fuckers like me who refused to read the the books. Um, Yeah, it's fine though. I still got some really good grades. So, you know, I'm just a jammy prick. 
Anyway, what was I even talking about? Why am I even talking about this? Uh, oh yes, oh right, 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 reading slump. Yes, so because I have this gigantic pile of books that I have to read, I'm really struggling. Um, and uh, yeah, normally it wouldn't be an issue because normally there's sort of only like one book that I have to read at a time and I get to like intersperse the stuff that I want to read. So yeah, anyway, that is me struggling this week with reading. So I'm selfishly asking you, how do you get yourself out of a reading slump? Because thus far, I'm mostly just avoiding reading, which is not good for my wider read how many thousands of pages this year. All right, enough of me bollocksing on. Um, okay, book recommendation of the week this week is... <laughs> uh, uh, selfishly, I'm not going to give you a book that I've recommended because, surprising no one... <laughs> I've been avoiding reading. Um, so I am going to recommend my audiobook to you, 13 Steps to Evil, How to Craft Super Bad Villains. And the reason I'm doing that is because I have put a sale on. Uh, now, this is only if you buy from me direct. But if you do, you'll get a 50% discount. So it's down at about five quid or something. Um, and you can get that using the code FAB50. Uh, so I will put the discount code in the show notes along with the link to uh, my website. So if you've been considering buying uh, my audiobook and you haven't got around to it yet, then now is the perfect chance it is cheaper than an Audible credit. So uh, hop over to my website, sashablack.co.uk, click shop from the menu and uh, you should find it. I think it's like the second or third product down. Um, yeah, use the code FAB50 and enjoy more of my dulcet tones. I have to say, actually, I do... Obviously, I'm a bit more... Um, animated? Actually, no, I don't know. I suppose I'm kind of animated in the audiobook as well. But yeah, you'll get my more audiobook voice anyway. And it's, oh, rather nice. I'm, I'm just, I'm just kidding. It's, it's just me. Guys, it's just me. You will just get more of me. Uh, but hey, who doesn't want that? Okay, so personal update. <laughs> I have no fucking idea what I've been up to. Uh, what have I been up to this week? Okay. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> Should have prepared this before. Okay, no. So this week I have been doing a uh, variety of things. I have uh, been working on Trey. I have now actually... Uh, oh, do I want to admit that? Oh yeah, fuck it. I'm going to say it. Right, I have put Trey on pre-order. I'm not really announcing it, except that clearly I just did announce it. But I'm not officially announcing it to kind of my fiction mailing list just yet because... Um, I have put it on pre-order everywhere except Kobo because you need a file uh, to put it live on Kobo and I don't want to do that just yet. So um, I am racing towards a deadline now. Uh, it is going to release at the end of April and Sirens is going to release at the end of May. So that is two back-to-back -back fiction launches. Both are on pre-order. Um, and I am aiming to get Trey off to the editor by the end of next week. So today is the 4th of February, Friday the 4th of February, and I want to have it off to the editor by the 11th-ish. May take a couple more days, uh, but certainly by the middle of February, I want it gone, which means I'm gonna be free! <laughs> Never have I been more excited to be free of a book. Um, the book has fucking plagued me. Um, you know, I'm really pleased that it's done. Uh, I still feel like I could have worked on it more, but for my sanity, I can't. So I'm letting it go because there are things that I want to do more than that. So um, yes. And what else can I tell you? Um, after I've done that, I'm going to be working on a course and uh, my next non-fiction book. Um, and, uh, well, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, yes. <laughs> a little... Oh, no, maybe I shouldn't admit this. I shall admit it. Fuck it, I'm going to admit it. So basically, I'm a bit of a tit. Uh, I... <laughs> Somebody mentioned uh, that the Kobo Plus uh, royalties aren't... Uh, so Kobo Plus is the subscription aspect of Kobo. And somebody mentioned that you can't see your Kobo Plus earnings in the dashboard, uh, which I had noticed, but I'd always just assumed it was because I wasn't getting any royalties. <laughs> Not the case, actually. <laughs> um, so I followed the instructions to find the Kobo Plus earnings, which basically you go into payment information and you'll see uh like if you click show more on the like the, the monthly uh the statements you'll see all of the Cobra plus earnings of which there were loads so i was really pleased with that except then i noticed that the last time kobo had paid me was um 
um, June 2020. And basically what has happened is it was completely my fault. I changed bank account and hadn't quite got the right information in. (laughs) So that payment bounced. So the actual last payment that I was sent was December 2019. And I just hadn't noticed. So I've emailed them and they are very gracious at my stupidity. And they have fixed it all very quickly for me because they are fantastic. And um, they have, uh, yeah, they're going to pay me, back pay me (laughs) two years of royalties uh, uh, in February in this month. So that is rather delightful. A bit of a savings scheme for me, which has been rather fun. But yeah, I couldn't, I was mortified that I hadn't noticed and that like I'd made that mistake. So as always, Kobo are fucking amazing. So thank you to them because they dealt with it in like 12 hours as well. So yeah, as always, absolutely love Kobo. They're amazing. Love their team. Uh, Don't love my stupidity. (laughs) So that was one thing that happened to me this week. Um, what else has happened to me? I have been working on uh, uh, standardizing everything in the background. So what does that mean? So I'm updating uh, metadata, categories, keywords, uploading new revised files, like so that the back matter in all of my books is good. Well, I say I'm uploading, I'm not uploading it. The amazing, ever amazing Becca. See, I'm just surrounded by amazing people. Uh, but Becca is doing that. I have sort of done the formatting and, and all the decision making and, and that kind of stuff and then Becca is uploading all of that for me so that uh, everything is standardized and I'm trying to do like large prints on everything making sure everything has paperbacks Uh, I've reformatted the box sets so oh this actually does sound like quite a lot of work I was feeling like I hadn't done an awful lot of work this week but I actually have done quite a lot of work um what else have I been doing Um, Obviously, I've written blurbs, new blurbs and things for the fiction books, which I'm quite excited about. So I'm I'm doing quite a low level launch for that. Uh, We'll probably just focus on newsletter promos. I think I will set Keepers to free for the first time. Not doing that just yet, but almost uh, on top of that. Um, And then, um, yeah, then I am going to start moving towards the LGBT fiction because I've decided that that's what I want to do. So I will be spending, like my next fiction book that I write is already 25k in, but um, that's the one that I'm going to focus on. And yeah, so I'm doing um, some Facebook advertising as well, seeing if I can get some of that going. I've literally never done Facebook advertising uh, for my non-fiction. I've done it for my fiction and I managed to get that working, uh, but only when it was in KU. Um, and obviously I am wide everywhere with everything now. And um, yeah, so I have actually outsourced that. So we're going to see how that goes. That's exciting. Um, I think that's probably it. Next week is going to be me manically, like, ignoring everything and just focusing on trying to get Trey to the editor. Um, I'm about halfway through the pro-writing aid, like, comma. <laughs> Fucking commas, man. Seriously. Like, I, it's a love-hate relationship with pro-writing aid because they are so fantastic. They pick up all my fucking ridiculous mistakes, which of which are always me not using a comma after an introductory clause. Seriously. Like, I get that now. I need to do it. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's amazing, but it just takes, like, takes me so long to, because I'm so shit at commas. Um but I'm getting there. So I'm halfway through and I'm doing like the final tweaks for my critique partner. And then I need to go through and do a final read through. Uh, the front end, I feel, is a bit slow, slower than I'd like. So I might try and take some words out. But basically, I'm going to get to middle of February and then just fucking suck it off because it's done. I need it to be done. I want to write my next nonfiction book. I'm chomping at the bit to uh, get another nonfiction book out. So yeah, I am full of beans today. It's almost like I've had too much coffee. <laughs> I haven't. I don't know what's going on. Okay, that must be enough of me bollocksing on because that was a longer intro than I had planned. Uh, So let's rapidly move on to Rebel of the Week. Rebel of the Week this week is Catherine Fletcher. Catherine says, I am not by nature a rebel. I follow the rules well, so maybe that is why I became a teacher and this year became an elementary school librarian. Historically, as you know, schools have had a strict dress code. 20 years ago when I started, we still had a rule that teachers had to wear pantyhose if we wore a skirt. What? What? 
oh my god i hate oh i hate stuff like this like how dare they tell you what to wear um a year or so ago the district very very quietly removed the rule for students saying that their hair color had to be a naturally occurring color they got tired of fighting this stupid battle i think yeah teachers were told not to say anything to them leave it for them to discover on their own so i assume they did the same for teachers <laughs> that one percent rebellious part of me screamed for purple hair oh my god i love this so even though i've only been at this school for four months i had my hair colored black brown ombre down to purple it turned out amazing i did not get fired or written up best of all the kids love it it's so fun and i feel so rebellious this may start a rebellious streak for me probably not though oh <laughs> i love it i love that you uh, decided to take the rule uh, for yourself as well i think that's brilliant and i think there's a dark rebellious streak in you somewhere uh, clearly giving you purple hair um choosing to have purple hair uh, is is the start of a rebellious journey for you i love it if you would like to be a rebel of the week please do send in your story it can be any kind of rebellion something big something small or something in between you can email your rebel story to becca on the following email address rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com one new Patreon, one, one new Patreon, one new patron this week. Welcome and a huge thank you to Maren Corcoran who has joined at the Slack level. So um, your Slack invite will be on its way. Uh, come and join the rebellious community. Um, and of course, a giant thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to get early access to the show, as well as uh, uh, bonus goodies and things like uh, Rebel Slack group community, you can get access to... Um, the Rebel Readers Group. We are going to be doing a group film movie night on the 17th of February, where we're going to be watching our book of the month this month, which is uh, The Hating Game. Uh, and if you would like to do that, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Okay, that truly, truly is enough from me. I'm sure you're all very tired of me. Let's get on with this cracking episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm super excited because I am joined by, well, current uh, resident writing coach for Angela Ackerman and Becca Puglisi, which is something that I used to do, but the amazing September C. Forks. Sometimes September scares people with her enthusiasm for writing and reading. She has worked in the fiction writing industry for over nine years, editing for both award-winning and best-selling authors, as well as beginning writers. She is also perpetually writing a YA fantasy series. Some may say she needs to get a social life. Uh, it'd be easier if her fictional one wasn't so interesting. Hello and welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Oh, no, thank you so much. So um, have you published the series yet or? No. So I'm like one of those, okay, on a scale from like Brandon Sanderson where he pumps up, like pumps out, sorry, excuse me, where he pumps out like five books a year versus G. George R. R. Martin, who's extremely slow. I'm more like him, the slow and steady type. So um, it's definitely a project I'm still working on. Not in a huge rush, but it'll get there eventually. I love so, it. I love not it. yet, but in the future. I love it. And can you tell us, like, is it is it like paranormal? Is it steampunk? Is it, uh, I don't know, I can't think of literally anything else. Contemporary? Oh, no, like contemporary fantasy? Or like what genre would it fall into? Right. I guess more like... Um, the basic ideas, I'm kind of playing with the ideas of angels and demons, and oh, one it. of the, okay, good. I haven't done a pitch, so this might not sound super cool <laughs> yet, but um, basically the prince of the angels has to come and hide in our world, so I guess like kind of contemporary, but he's from a different world, you know, and mm -hmm. later we'll kind of go back and forth between the worlds, but. I so, love it. Have, have you read, <laughs> I nearly coughed then, have you read Angelfall by Susan E.E.? E. No, I haven't. That might be a, a, a good comp author. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of more in the, like when the boom of um, like Twilight and all of that stuff okay, kicked off yeah, a few yeah. years ago, like that kind of era. But yeah, I loved, well, I say, see, this is a funny thing. Like the more you write, like a decade into writing, I'm like, oh, I, don't, I don't know if those books are good anymore because, you know, I read them. I the same thing sometimes. I'm like, am I still going to like this 10 years later? And some of them hold up. They do, yes, and some of them don't. Do. And you're like, yeah. oh. Yeah. <laughs> Awkward. 
<laughs> anyway, tell everyone a yeah. little bit about you. How did you get to where you are today? Okay, so I'm kind of one of those people that like always wanted to work in the industry since I was a kid. I wrote my first thing when I was seven and like my mom was smart because she saved it. So I still have it. Oh. But I was kind of hooked after that. So I'm like, hey, I definitely like want to get into writing or editing or both. And but like I didn't have any kind of professional help, you know, and like and I'm not even that old. But back then there wasn't a lot of that stuff online. And so now it's great because we have stuff like this and all these podcasts and blogs. But so I wrote like growing up, but I didn't have like anybody to like guide me on what was actually useful or what worked. And then I went to college and um, I got an English degree. And that's kind of where I started. Like I took some creative writing classes and stuff. And that's where I started kind of getting more professional help and went to conferences and I was their uh, managing editor on their literary journal. And then after college, I got hired by New York Times bestselling author David Farland as his assistant. He actually just passed away, sadly. But so... I didn't oh, know that. Know. No, I'm so sorry. Oh, your listeners even know. Yeah, pretty sad. But um, anyway, so I worked for him for over six years. And he does ed- freelance editing, too. So he would have me go through the clients and his, he teaches too, and his students manuscripts, and then he would go through it. And then I started my blog, which kind of, I would consider is kind of taken off. And then I went to work for myself, just doing freelance editing and working on my blog and slowly but steadily working on my own writing projects. So that's kind of where I am today. And that's my little story. But I do want to say, because sometimes I think people get stuck, especially like with the arts or whatever, they feel like you have to be one of those people who's like always wanted to be, you know, an artist or a writer, or you're just born that way. I don't really feel that way. So even though I'm kind of one of those people, I don't think you have to be somebody like that. If you, you know, just want to start now, or you've just gotten interested in last year, I think that's totally cool. And I think you can still be successful. Oh, I completely agree. I didn't know that this is what I wanted to do. I, I always say this, if I had been more self-aware, I would have realized, but I wasn't very self-aware and I'm still not very self-aware. And so I didn't realize until I was like stuck in a court, what I used to, well, I still call my corporate hellmare. Um, you know, it was like this hellish night nightmare skate landscape of corporateism. And then I very rapidly realized <laughs> this is not a very creative environment. And that is how I, you know, ended up. But, you know, as a kid, I used to read all the time and I carry a notebook everywhere and I've got stories. And, but you just I don't know, I, I was I, I was meant to get a proper job. And so that's what I went off to do. And yeah, it's all it's all bollocks. Basically, you can you can start this career whenever you want. It's never too late. Yeah, Um, definitely feel the same way. So I asked you to come on the show because I read an amazing blog, speaking of blogs, uh, that you wrote (laughs) (laughs) um, on Angela and uh, Becca's uh, uh, blog, uh, all about voice. And so um, this is something that I am quietly obsessed about at the moment and kind of researching and something I would like to dig a lot deeper into because it's quite often voice that makes a book stand out. And so can we start with the basics? What is voice? Okay, so it's interesting because I feel like a lot of us feel like this is very elusive. And I think a lot of things in writing feel that way until we can kind of break them down and talk about what it is. So I, so first I would say when people say voice, they could mean it in three different ways. So there's the author's voice. And then there's if you want to include the narrator's voice and then there's the character's voice, which you could even break down to the viewpoint character and just characters in general. And I feel like those kind of work like a Russian nesting doll in a sense where it's like, okay, everything you write is going to have your author voice and then the narrator. And then inside that, like the characters and like, there's definitely some overlap. Like if you're writing in deep, like in a character, deep in a point of view of a character, that's pretty much the same as the narrator's voice. Right. And so there's definitely overlap. And sometimes those things are more different. Like if you read the book Thief, you have the author and then the narrator's death, yeah. you know, and then you have the characters. So those things you can kind of play around with. But I would say most of us today, I feel like usually people are writing in deep point of view of the character. So those kind of go together. But I would break it down to, um, I don't know, I kind of came up with this equation from listening to other people talk about voice. And I would say it's what the character thinks and talks about like the content, what they're thinking about and how they communicate that, how they, how they think it or how they say it. 
And it's funny because as I was getting ready for this, um, I realized you could also apply that to the author voice and the narrator's voice, you know, your author voice is what kind of stuff you write and how you write it, you know, you can set the narrator and then definitely the character. So I would break it down to that as kind of the most basic and when you kind of understand that you can kind of go from there because I feel like a lot of times we think voices like accents or slang or whatever and it's like that's part of it but it's not the sum of it and so it's easy to kind of get stuck on things that maybe don't get to the heart of it I feel like yeah I completely agree with that and I think one of the the key things to realize especially for early writers is that a character's voice shouldn't change whereas the author's voice can change across genre or as they develop you know you can take um like Stephen King has written fantasy he's written horror he's written pretty much everything mm-hmm. possibly that you think of and they don't all sound the same and and that's because his author voice is different he's writing a different genre or, or like oh, I'm loath to mention but you know she who must not be named who <laughs> wrote middle grade fantasy and and has since written like crime the voices are mm-hmm. different so like yeah but characters their voice kind of is their personality in a way you know so that that can't really change because it's an expression of who they are and that's what we get on the page so i love that yeah what are like some of the foundations of creating a good character voice so um Okay, so some people feel like uh, you have to start from the inside out, which I think probably 95% of the time is a great idea. Like you need to know the character first and then work from that to the outside to what they sound like and everything. But I'm actually going to say if you feel like like some people feel like a voice just comes to them and they actually work from outside in on some characters. I actually think that's okay if that's what's happening and then you can kind of figure out who the character is. But um, looking at things like, you know, their culture, their background, uh, I would say even their identity, kind of how they view themselves. And like an example, just to kind of give an example off of the kind of equation that I gave. So I think the example I like to use is like the Hobbits and Lord of the Rings. So they have a culture that's very focused on food and creature comforts and things like that. And so in Lord of the Rings, they're often bringing up food and, you know, the creature comforts or what they like to do. And like, and even the way they talk, like they have, you know, like Sam uses Mr. Frodo or folk and words like that. And so you can see how their background comes through into what they're saying. I'd also add, you can also look at what they don't say. They're not the type of people who are going to talk about, you know, war tactics or whatever, because that's not what their culture is. And even within the Hobbits, you can still see how each of the Hobbits has like a different voice and that, you know, Pippin's the type of person who'd be like, well, what about second breakfast, you know, and Frodo would never say that. So that kind of goes with like what they're saying, the content of what the character is saying, their worldview also. And like another example, like if you have a character who's a dentist, she might would notice people's teeth more sort of thing. Uh, The way they talk, I kind of touched on, but uh, word choices, slang, we'll probably talk about some of these more as we go, but that's influenced also by like education or your social circles or sometimes even who you're talking to, to a degree, but, and I would say even uh, mood or emotion, like a lot of, most people have like a dominating set of emotions, I feel like to some degree, and so a simple example would be like Winnie the Pooh, that show or book I think most people are familiar with the show you know Eeyore's always gloomy and Tigger's always excited and that's kind of more extreme and obvious because it's for children right but you can kind of bring that in too and have those things influence the character's voice yeah I love that so much like I think this is one of the things that people Mm, what is the word that I'm looking for like they make it more complicated than it should be like literally who is the person what are they interested in and where have they come from because where we have come from hugely influences what we sound like and you know like using food I'm sure they probably and I don't know because I haven't actually read a lot of the rings but Mm -hmm. I suspect they use like metaphors and and description like in relation to food because that is their worldview like maybe I don't know but anyway I'm imagining they could Um, oh yeah and I would add to like um I don't really remember that specifically from the book but I get what you're saying and like 
somebody who's like, so if you have someone who's really into fashion and they're the viewpoint character, they're going to have like a what a wider range to describe how other people are dressed and how they look. And they're going to be more specific. So like someone who doesn't care about fashion is probably going to be like, oh, she has, you know, a blue shirt on. But someone who does will be like, oh, she had a till tunic on, you know, that was the latest color, the color of the season type of thing, just as kind of a quick example. So like, yeah, that would be a more specific language, but also having a broader range to describe those types of things that the character's interested in. Yeah, I think that is a fantastic um, bit of advice there. So like, what are some of the literary or like craft tools or techniques we can use, uh, like specifically in dialogue to help us differentiate character voice? Sure. So, um, (laughs) Like kind of as a side note, I might have touched this a little earlier. So it's funny because the voice is also, you know, we talk about what they say, but it's also looking at what they don't say, which I think can be super effective in dialogue because it brings in more subtext, which is what we want. So I would also say the way they don't say things, just as kind of a side note, but since we're talking more about what they actually say, uh, I think you can look at things like speech patterns. And I would say sentence structure to an extent, because some people tend to talk like more to the point, And some people are a little more, you know, verbose and just kind of add on. Um, rhythm, word choice, pet words are kind of fun if you don't give them to too many um, like characters. So, like what I mean by pet words is like, and Pirates of the Caribbean, Jack Sparrow always says savvy, you know, that's kind of his pet word. Or in the Hunger Games, Haymitch always says sweetheart. And so that can kind of help define a voice. Uh, you can play with slang. I would go to like how, one thing that's interesting to look at is how a character curses or if they curse, because I feel like people have different, you know, guidelines with that on a personal level. How do they curse? Um, st- you can look at things like stuttering. You can also get into accents, but I think sometimes you need to be a little careful with that because mm-hmm. I think people kind of go overboard. And like, um, I can't remember the term. There's a term. So if you know it, you can tell me. But like when you write how the accent sounds on the page, kind of like Mark Twain does. I can't remember what it's called. Phonetic? But you actually like write out. What? Is it phonetic? No. Yeah. Well, there, yeah, it is. But there's also like a, another term for it too. But yeah, like phonetically. So I think that's okay if you can pull it off, but like nowadays, okay, I would say back then, like, or, you know, back in time, people didn't know how those accents actually sounded, you know, like Mm. people, you know, here in Utah, maybe didn't know what Australian accent sounds like, you know, just an example. I don't, I don't know for sure. And so it's like writing that way, it was more phonetic. So you could kind of hear it as you're reading it, but I think, people today don't necessarily need that and it can kind of slow down the reading process. And so rather than doing that, I would say it's probably more effective to sprinkle in like regional phrases. So like in Utah, we have like a lot of famous swears or curses, not famous, but like ridiculous ones. Like people say flip instead of the F word or like son of a biscuit or something. So like if I wanted to set a character who's in Utah, I might like would put those kinds of things in to get the regional feel as opposed to like putting in, you know, lots of weird accents, which you can't do, but I'm just saying some people go over the top. Mm. It's better to kind of just sprinkle that in. And like, if anyone wonders, oh, I wonder what Australian accent sounds like, they can just easily look it up nowadays, you know? I think it's kind of exhausting to write in pure dialogue. Like sometimes obviously like, you know, it creates a very specific effect and that can be done very, very well. But as somebody, so like for me, I could write a very posh British character with a very posh British accent and I would not find that tiring. But for somebody who is maybe Australian or from, I don't know, like South America or whatever, they Mm -hmm. might find that exhausting because they wouldn't necessarily have that natural, like native knowledge of of how a posh British voice sounds. So it can be like grueling almost to write. Of course, sometimes that's the effect that you want and you you need that character and so you have to do it. But it can also, like, if it's done badly, then it can be really grueling to read as well. And offensive um, sometimes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, oh, I love this. So I guess the same question, but mm-hmm. um, so, like, what are some of the literary or craft tools that we can use, but, like, in the narrative, so less about dialogue and more about everywhere else? Okay, so... 
So yeah, some of the things will be the same to some extent, but it'll be different because you're doing narrative and some things you do in dialogue, you don't necessarily want to do in narrative. But I would say one of the most important things is getting deep into point of view. So point of view is more than just, you know, saying first person or second person or third person. It's also how deep you get into that character's head. And so there's actually like, I would say like a spectrum of how deep you could go. You could write strictly from the outside like outside of the character or you can kind of summarize what they're saying or you could write something you know oh it's freaking hot outside Todd thought like the devil's oven and that's a little closer but the closest like the deepest you can get is when like the pros actually take on the character's thoughts and attitudes so you would just say oh it was freaking hot outside like the devil's oven and then talk about what happened so then it's like the character's thoughts are more on the page so to speak so I feel like voice is strongest. If you're trying to get voice on the page, I would say even character to an extent, like stronger on the page, you want to try to get to like that deepest level and write from there. And that will help kind of make it pop out more. I would say utilizing like comparisons, like similes and metaphors. And what your viewpoint character chooses to compare something to do, something to is going to say something about them. So mm -hmm. if I have a character who compares the sky to static on a TV, it kind of implies that he spends more time around TV and technology than he does outside, so to speak. So looking at opportunities to put uh, interesting comparisons like that in can also, like it'll establish, establish voice, but it will also like, immediately help the audience identify what kind of character this is. But even looking at, you know, maybe their mood or their emotions for that scene, if they're going to compare compare what's happening to something positive, might convey they're a little more positive or something negative, might convey something a little negative. As a kind of side note, <laughs> that's kind of interesting. So um, Brandon Sanderson has, actually I haven't read it, but I've heard of it. He has a book where the viewpoint character is bad at similes and metaphors. So he actually puts in like purposely like bad similes and metaphors, which I think is kind of funny. So that you can kind funny. of play around with that. Um, hopefully you might have to be more established to do that because some people might not realize that it's intentional. I don't know, you know, depending on how you handle do, that. Do you know which of his books that is? It's one of his YA books, I believe. I don't know, maybe somebody listening, I don't know if you have a comment section, but maybe somebody could add if they know. Um, the next thing I would say, like, uh, kind of like deviating, like separating the inner world from the outer world. So like, we all have things going on in our head or emotions internally, like privately that we don't necessarily want to show the world all the time or show to everybody. And so if you can look for opportunities as you're writing to kind of show where that's separated, what the character is thinking versus what the character is actually saying, or sometimes those things are completely at odds, or sometimes it might be, you know, they just want to reveal a half truth, or maybe there's just something personal or like a secret that they don't necessarily want everyone to know. And so kind of looking at where you can kind of separate those, I think helps make voice a little stronger on the page and the viewpoint stronger on the page. And I would say look for opportunities to like add lines that are going to speak to the character's worldview. And like, you have to use good judgment with this because you don't want to go off on a tangent that's not related to the story, right? But like, for example, if someone, if your character is somewhere and someone brings up police or they see a policeman, well, what does your character think about police? You could just add that in in a sentence or a half sentence. You know, do they think of them as pigs or protectors? Are they crooked? Are they underappreciated? Because people have lots of different opinions, right? And so you can slip in something like that that tells us a little bit more of the character and helps establish voice. And then kind of like we talked about with dialogue, um, you don't have to do this with narration, but if you want, you can sprinkle in like kind of that those surface specifics like regional phrases or you know maybe they have like a more straight to the point tone in their in the way they're narrating the story type of thing so and then you could do your pet words there too you could say savvy like jack does if you're writing in jack's point of view type you know of thing so you can throw in those things you don't have to do that that's just if I feel like adding a little bit of that helps define the voice a bit more. And depending on how voicey you want the story to sound, like I feel like way often they like things that have a very strong kind of voicey type sense. But other stories, like I would feel like, just an example, like I feel like the Hunger Games, 
is like you totally get Katniss's voice and I feel like you feel or you hear Suzanne Collins's voice too but she's not like Katniss's voice isn't like super slangy or like you know over the top or anything so you kind of want to think about what kind of character you have and what kind of story you're writing but you can add those things to narration as well if you would like to yeah, I really love voicey narration. I just read um, Fresh by Margot Wood. I don't know if you've, it's a YA, but it's like a sapphic YA. And oh my God, it was so voicey. And it was really interesting because um, uh, I was sort of looking at, at the reviews and all of the things that I loved about it, like the voice, the humor, like breaking the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. Those were all of the things that I loved and thought made it stand out as like such an exceptional book. Um, but so like when people like that was some of what the one star reviews was about and I was like what are you yeah. talking about this book is amazing and so like it's so funny that you know some of the things that we we love and can really create these um voicey voices mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of way to describe it but you know some people will love or hate so like I suppose there is a you know you can have a blander voice but then I think that loses something and if anything you want to niche down on whatever that voice is because you'll find a, a right. fan, fan group if you can find them if that makes sense yes it can be kind of polarizing like one that comes to me is I don't know I don't know if you've read the series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket mm. which is interesting because um Lemony Snicket is a character in the book but he wrote it as his author's name but that's not the actual author's name so he's narrating a story about different characters but people tend to either love that or hate it and he's, his narration is very voicey. And I find like with what you're saying, what people love about it is the way the story is told because the stories are actually pretty simple, but the way he tells it is what people gravitate toward. But yeah, I agree. As you get like more voicey or sometimes the voice is also about like what rules you choose to break. Like you talked about breaking the fourth wall. And as you get more voicey, I feel like it, you can lose some people, but then I feel like other people become like they love it more. So that's something to consider. Absolutely. I put up a post on Instagram, I think yesterday, like footnotes, guys, talk to me about footnotes. Like, and I, I could not believe how polarizing footnotes were. I was like, <laughs> what is wrong with everyone? I fucking love a cheeky footnote because it makes, like, yeah. one, it's voicey, two, it's really fucking pretentious, or it's hilarious. <laughs> like, it's it's usually one of those things. And like, so many people hated it. And I was like, oh, like, I, some footnotes are something I would totally do. Um, yeah, but, it's fun. Yeah. And the other the other type of narrator voice that I loved is you mentioned it already, but the book thief. Oh, my God. That first person mm -hmm. omniscient. First person omniscient is like so hard to do. And absolutely, I think one of my favorite like voices because it's so definitely intimate and close and like also that, you know, God's eye view. And oh, my God. Yeah, I, I mean, I the, the book thief is not my genre really I would say it's not the type of book that I would normally read but I read it because so many people were like read it read it read it it was fucking brilliant so you know <laughs> yeah that was the same with me I'm like okay everyone says it's so good and I was like oh this is cool this yeah you point you know and like I wouldn't say it's not the type of book I would never read but it's not something I would ordinarily ordinarily pick up but totally, I would say yeah the voice and the viewpoint is kind of what I mean it's what makes the book stand out yes you know? there's so many other stories from that that cover that era but that's what was unique about it yeah yes absolutely okay so what are some of the more common mistakes you see uh, writers making when it comes to voice okay so um we kind of talked about don't overdo the accent thing um sometimes I think people get so focused on voice they start to feel like every character needs to have a completely different voice and that can result in some weird awkward things in reality a lot of us have you know I guess going back to my hobbit example they have similar voices but they're not all, all exactly the same so you don't need to make them all so different that it gets awkward um sentence structure I brought up can be something good if you're like oh this character talks like in more straight to the point sentences maybe shorter sentences but you want to avoid doing like always like an always sentence structure like oh this person always talks in short sentences or always talks in really long sentences because as probably a lot of you know if you have the exact like close to the exact same sentence length over and over and over as a reader that's not very fun it gets annoying 
but also it kind of shortchanges you as a writer because your sentence structure also influences, like it helps control pacing and it helps control tone and other things that you communicate to the reader. So if you're like gonna stick yourself down to like, okay, every time I'm in this character's viewpoint, he's gonna talk in really long sentences. Like that can actually kind of shortchange other aspects of your story. So I'd watch out for that. Um, I talked about how some characters have like dominating moods, or I guess I would even maybe say emotions. So you want to be kind of careful with viewpoint characters, what you pick for that. So if I have a viewpoint character who's like almost always calm and easygoing, that's going to undercut a lot of the tension I'm trying to put in the story. Because everything I put in there, like a lot of times you're just going to be like, cool, not worried about it, you know? So it kind of zaps that out. Now, I'm not saying that never works. Like that could work well in a story that has like really high stakes and there's explosions and like lots going on because it kind of like goes against that, like kind of contradicts that. So that could be kind of funny and ironic and make it fun. But just kind of think like, okay, if I give this character like this dominating emotion, is that going to actually undercut what I'm trying to do with the plot and everything? Uh, I would say sometimes stock voices, like I feel like sometimes I run into voices that I'm like, okay, this, I've heard this voice like a lot before. Like I feel like snarky and mouthy get used a lot in Y, which I like, but like, even if you're going to use that, you need to get like deep into your character and think about, okay, how is my character snarky in his own, his or her own way, you know? Mm-hmm. And just like, I would just say avoid like all trying to do always anything like, Oh, always says this always does this. And like some people might read a story and be like, Oh, you know, the voice was so amazing. All the characters had completely different voices and the viewpoints were all completely different. It probably wasn't actually completely different. It just felt that way. And so a lot of times it's better to sprinkle in that stuff. Like mm-hmm. there's some passages you can be heavier and more voicey with. Like we talked about the book thief. There's places where death is more heavy, you know, with the voicey stuff and where he's not. But um, if you're constantly like, trying to always do something it can be too much and it can get annoying so a lot of the times as you're moving the story along it's helpful to think of it more of like sprinkling in things that make the voice unique and sure some areas you can sprinkle in a lot more and than other areas but anything that like you take to an extreme and repeat over and over can become annoying to the reader mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. There was a really good example. I read a book. I think it's Kiara Smythe. I think that's how you say her name, but she wrote a book called Not My Problem. And there was a character in there who would ramble, but he, she wrote him so that the ramble stopped just before it got annoying or somebody would interrupt him because he was getting annoying. Okay. Yes. Well, that's great. Yeah. But what she would do is she, instead of it just being like random nonsensical rambling, he was telling a story within the dialogue paragraph. So like he was, and it was kind of tangential, but like there was always a point to the story. And like, that was what was wonderful about it. But it, it, you know, although I remember him because that's the way he spoke. It wasn't every single sentence. Like it wasn't every single line of dialogue, but you know, he, he generally speaking would speak for longer um, than like, obviously than the rest of the characters. And so much so that the main character even made a point about like, are you going to get to the point kind of thing? And that like (laughs) sort of made it stand out even more, which was just fantastic. Um, Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. How can, um, I suppose, we've, I mean, I think we've probably covered this, but is there anything else um, like about a character's background or backstory maybe that would influence yeah. how they speak? I would add, okay, so we kind of, I kind of mentioned culture and identity, you know, yeah. So identity, you have like how the character views themselves versus how other people define that character. So that could be interesting to look at too, because most of the time those aren't exactly the same. I mean, how I view myself isn't necessarily the exact same that my neighborhood views me, you know? So you can kind of play with that, but um, career education, but I would add, so backstory is obviously gonna shape the character that you have. So for a quick example, in the Disney movie Frozen, you know, Elsa has this backstory where she's traumatized because of what she did to Anna when they were kids. And, 
so because of that, her coping mechanism is to be alone and to isolate herself so she can be herself. So if you listen to her lines of dialogue and what she says, she's often talking about being alone and not, you know, people can't know who she really is. And that's where she can be herself. She's free when she's alone. And so you see how her backstory and her coping mechanism shapes, I guess, totally her worldview and then how that shapes her whole voice and the way she talks and what she does. So looking at your Back, the character's backstory and like how that's ideally a lot of story I mean I guess all of us to some degree have trauma in our, in our own backstory but I mean every character is going to have something in their backstory whether or not that's on the page that's probably going to influence the way they interact with others or present themselves on the page yeah yeah absolutely so thinking about characters who don't have a very clear point of view how can you like, I know you said, you know, not everybody needs to have a very distinctive voice, but what are the techniques you can do maybe to like differentiate or, or give some like essence of a voice when they're not a point of view character? Yeah, so um, we kind of talked about uh, speech patterns, rhythm, stuff like that. But I even liked your example of the one character that rambled. I don't know if he was a viewpoint character or not. He wasn't, you can, no. Okay, you can pick up little things like that or like pet words or maybe the character is very polite. So they'll always say, sir, and thank you. I would actually even go to, this is like, could be considered a slight tangent, but I would even look at like mannerisms and body language. Cause I feel yeah. like to some degree, okay, yeah, to some degree, I call it like a body language voice. That's not like a real term, but you know, maybe there's sometimes, you know, you might have a character who snaps every time he has a good idea and maybe his ideas aren't actually good, but he thinks they are, you know, and like that kind of also, that kind of gets into like what they called character tagging where you associate certain things with certain characters but I would say also looking at body language and mannerisms you might have a character who or you could throw in like a character who mumbles a lot or who pauses a lot when they're talking um I had I read a manuscript once that one of the characters side characters wasn't a main character his voice really stood out because he would constantly like um, kind of stop and pause and think about things. And he would just be like, hmm. And there'd be like uh, an ellipsis, you know, ellipsis. Mm -hmm. And that kind of conveyed his voice. And I would say to some degree, like some of the more side characters that they're not just like completely background characters, but they're more on the side. Sometimes you can get away with doing things a little more out there with voice because they're not going to be on the page consistently you know so it leaves an impression you get them out but then if there are more background people that don't really matter like a taxi driver or whatever you might not want to go over the top with voice because then it draws too much attention to that person so you kind of have to think about that but oh interrupting that might be another kind of quirk you can throw in that might help but even just like in fact I remember now that we're talking about it there's a chapter in the first Harry Potter book, the centaur, no, it's the first one. I think it's the first one. It's not in the movie. The centaur keeps saying Mars is bright tonight. And you're like, okay, so what? what's the deal? You know, but it kind of established his voice and what he was concerned with in a brief space. Yeah, I love that. And I think, well, because this is a funny thing, right? Like a character's voice is their personality. So I definitely think that you can include like actions, like physical actions that mm -hmm, they take. Right. Because that that helps to encap like encapsulate aspects of their personality which you know invariably is their voice um and I think one of the other things that um I was thinking of you mentioned earlier um is like silence like the use of silence as well mm -hmm. it, like not many people use silence in a story because obviously like right. it's a hard thing to convey in a book but actually having a character who like uses silence as a weapon or mm -hmm. as as a shield almost that's another thing that I think um yeah yeah oh, love it yeah love it. What, what they won't talk about and like I mean some things like if you go to certain talk about certain areas with certain people they will just shut down or not say anything or whatever and so yeah and using that as a weapon too choosing not to answer all that conveys character and the character's personality as well whereas if you had a character who was really polite they probably wouldn't do that you know just to, just to kind of as a contrasting example but yeah do you have any 
books with voices that have really stuck out to you over the years of reading like I definitely agree with you that the book thief is one that I'm like that is that is a voice I will never ever forget and I think another one for me is probably Terry Pratchett because he breaks so many rules and he's so bloody funny um, (laughs) in doing it like that's another voice that really stood out for me but I don't know do you have any favorites that you can think um other than what we've kind of already talked about I also like um the Fault in Our Stars by John Green. I actually haven't read his other stuff. I want to. Like, they're on my huge to-read list. <laughs> but I like his voice. And even in the, I feel like even the first few paragraphs of that book, um, it might just be somewhere in the first chapter. He also breaks quite a few rules. And even when he does dialogue, sometimes it's just like the name and then a colon and then dialogue, which you can do. But usually, you know, we're not taught to do that. Or he'll do, he'll put like a slash, like, you know, elevator slash lift or something. That's not a good example, but just little quirks like that. So I also like his, yeah, I'm trying to think of if there's any other that others that come right to mind, not off the top of my head, other than that one and what we've already talked about, but yeah. yeah. Wow, this is the Rebel Author (laughs) Podcast. So can you tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel? Okay. See, this is an interesting question because I don't usually think about this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just kind of do the thing, whatever. It is. But anyway, so the first thing that comes to mind, this is kind of an older story, but this is the first thing that came to mind. So when I was in high school, I took a psychology class and um, my teacher was talking, I don't want to get into details because it involves other people and some of it's controversial, but he's teaching this lesson and it started to go down like what word do I want to use like I don't know inappropriate biased socially probably socially unaware starts going down the socially unaware direction and I'm becoming like more and more aware of this and I'm like okay this is not the direction we should be going in a high school class and there was another student in the class like not next to me but close enough to me that I could see and this person was getting like more and more uncomfortable and I was like, dude, we cannot do this. So like, I, I'm pretty sure I was the first person, but my memory's a little blurry, but I was definitely one of the first people that was like, Hey, you know what teacher, like, we can't talk about this anymore. And like a bunch of other people were like, yeah, this is basically inappropriate. We didn't use those words because we're teenagers, you know, but like, this isn't, we shouldn't be going down this direction. And the teacher like, just didn't care and just like kept talking and like kept going this direction. I don't think he was very like, oh, he obviously wasn't socially aware, but I just don't think he was like very aware of like the students. I don't know. So I started getting more and more uncomfortable. And like more of us were like, no, no, let's, let's start a new topic. Let's start a new topic. And he didn't. And like the student who was really uncomfortable got up and walked out and I guess went and got the superintendent or something. I don't know. And then a few minutes later, my teacher is being yanked out of the classroom for the rest of the period. And I was like, okay. And like, I'm pretty sure he got chewed out in the hallway, but we couldn't really hear, you know, everything. So like, I wasn't the one who yanked him out, but I was, I think I was the first, but like I said, I don't remember exactly. I was one of the first that was like, okay, you need to put your foot in your mouth. Like you should not be teaching, going this direction to students and especially in public school, but you know, anywhere. (laughs) And I guess that's the one that came to mind. It might not sound super rebellious, but it was standing up for what was wrong against an authoritative figure. Exactly. I know that's definitely rebellion. And like, I think it takes so much bravery as well to advocate for like in situations like that as well. So absolutely that is a rebellion. And I love it because you are standing up for, um, whatever you were standing up for anyway (laughs) um I can't believe we've come to the end of our um chat but would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your services and anything else that you would like to add sure so I have a blog it's just my name but if you septembercfox.com but if you can't remember my name for some reason you can also get to it by putting in write better with an editor.com and I do writing tips I want to say almost eight almost weekly, but sometimes I skip a week if I'm busy or whatever. And if you sign up for my mailing list, you also get a free booklet on protagonists. And there's actually a section in there about voice if you want to look at that some more. Um, I do freelance editing. You can find some info on that on my blog as well. But my website is foxediting.com. 
do content editing, line editing. I was doing copy editing, but it's not my favorite. So I'm kind of phasing out of that. And then I'm on most social media outlets. I'm not on TikTok, but I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. And I probably am like most active and have the most people on Tumblr, which is weird because that's kind of the one people don't think of. But anyway, you can find me on any of those places would be great. Perfect. And I will make sure all of those links are in the show notes. So thank you so much for joining us. And of course, a giant thank you to all of the show's listeners and the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as a bunch of bonus stuff, then you can by going to patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to the fabulous September Sea Forks. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I am going to be joined by returning guest, Emma Byrne. Emma was in episode 73, I think it was. Um, I did check and I have it. I have now forgotten, but I did the interview this week. She is going to be joining me <clears throat> to talk about professional networking for authors. And you might remember Emma because she was the robot scientist. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.